0: Hey everyone, thanks for joining us here on Escaping Rock Bottom. For those of you who are watching us right now, you can see I have a very extraordinary guest for, uh, with us today, which I'll get to her in just a moment. If you're listening on your car ride to work on Spotify, Google Play, or even iTunes, you're going to hear from this special guest coming up in just a few moments. Uh, obviously, you could see we are here on set at KTLA Studios in Los Angeles, California. I am sitting next to anchor extraordinaire Courtney Friel. Thank you for deciding to do this with me today.
1: I'm excited to be on. I'm excited to meet you. Yeah. And bring you into our studio, which you used to work at KTLA.
0: It is. I always say this like the gifts of sobriety to me just continue to compound, and I get these beautiful gifts all the time. I used to work here back in 2008, 2009. You started here.
1: 2013. So 2013 so but I had one of our photographers tell me you've got to connect with Brandon Lee you have had the same amount of time sober we both have nine years yeah
0: which and is crazy
1: podcast and you should be on it so we're making it happen
0: we're making it happen I'm so excited to be here because uh, we have a lot to discuss today mm-hmm. and Courtney has an incredible story about you know your perils through drug addiction but you're on the other side of it nine years just yes. like me clean and you know, this podcast is all about inspiring other people and giving them hope. Um, So it's rad to be back here at KTLA. So let's just get right into it. Um, What was it like for you? Like, how did you end up using... What was your drug of choice? What did you get into? When did it start for you?
1: I always say I had a very successful 15-year party career, which included <laughs> alcohol from the beginning. There was no such thing as one drink for me. It was like... I'd be cross-eyed, like, going all hours of the night, (laughs) like, (laughs) crying, puking, disappearing, train wreck, hot mess. Uh, And then cocaine was a huge part of the story. And then towards the last few years, pills, Ambien, Xanax, and Adderall. We're in the mix. I would say those are my five drugs of choice.
0: Goodness, you're, <laughs> I, I, I always like to say in the recovery world, like when we go back and we reflect back on our war stories, like I was a garbage pail kid, like whatever it was, what do you got tonight? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm down. What does oh, that do? No worries. Yeah. I'll take it. Any any sort of
1: Percocet or any, although I was always like allergic to marijuana. I could not handle that. And I didn't, hmm. I tried like acid one time and shrooms one time. Those were like the worst days of my life. So that side of the drugs weren't really my thing, but the uppers and downers, I guess I had more, maybe more control of those, but I would be so freaked out to do any of the above now after nine years. And so my sobriety date is 09, That's and, awesome. Some. Not had a pill, a drink.
0: Or so you'll drive. be celebrating ten years this year. Yes, that is awesome. That is so awesome. Mm-hmm. So, but take me back. Like, where did you grow up? Because I think you know one of the one of the stereotypes that I love to just bust and break when it comes to addiction is that. Like, I grew up in Laguna Beach, right? It's a, it's an affluent mm-hmm. it's an affluent city in America. There was a lot of money around, and like I always say, addiction does not discriminate. Right. It doesn't care how much money you have or where you grew up. But where did you grow up?
1: I'm from outside of Philadelphia. Okay. And look, my dad is an alcoholic, drinks every single day, but he wasn't the type that was beating my mom or not paying bills or asleep on the Mm. couch all day. So I didn't understand, like, okay other people out there can be addicts or whatever like not 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 anyone like me and so my my story is just that I was really bullied growing Mm. up and I was extremely shy so then I would internalize the pain I wasn't gonna have any confrontation or even stand up to the bullies and that just made it worse because then they wanted to be more mean to me and I just didn't understand why no one liked me and I didn't fit in which is a commonality amongst alcoholics I think right but then at 15, I discovered drinking, and I came out of my shell, and I people thought I was hilarious, and I'd hang out with all the party people, and I numbed out all the pain on those people. I was like, I don't care what those people think about me. And I was also a work-hard, play-hard person. I definitely knew early on that I wanted to be in news. All good
0: addicts are. Right. So <laughs>
1: while I loved partying, my main priority was still – becoming a reporter and mm. news anchor. And then while I was working at Fox news channel, I mean, I was hung over all the time and luckily it didn't get to the point where something bad happened and then I was forced to go to rehab. So that's why Fox, they took such good care of me when I came to them and, and my agent was like, Hey, she needs to go get help. I mean, they didn't even make me take disability or any of my vacation days. I was gone for six weeks. I went for 28 days And they were like, thank you so much for being proactive. And I think that's part Mm. of the story I like to share, too, that you don't have to wait till there's all these repercussions. I saw the train heading towards explosion, explosion. Like I had seen like some videos of myself not even remembering like I was in a blackout and I was just appalled at what I saw. And ultimately I ended up with seven people surrounding my bed in an impromptu intervention. And because I was kind of thinking, all right, I'm either going to die from this mix of stuff that I'm taking because Heath Ledger and DJM had just died. And I'm right. like, wait, I'm, I'm on those things. Or I thought I'm going to get busted buying Coke from some shady dealer and lose my job. And so when I was presented with that, you know, my husband at the time was like, you need to go to rehab or we're getting divorced. Mm. And then I listened to what everyone had to say. And it was like a girlfriend was like, Hey, remember you used to steal my Ritalin all the time and in college and a coworker was like, you know, you've been really like stressed and you know, everything was becoming unmanageable. So why don't you just take some time for you? So I knew in that moment, okay, I deserve more for my life. Like there's more purpose for me to be here. And I knew, I just knew it would be the best thing that I could do for myself
0: what was that first year what was that first year like in recovery for me you know Re- yeah, I mean listen, for me we talk about this thing in recovery, right? The pink cloud, the pink cloud and you know once you rid yourself from the drugs, you immediately feel better about yourself and I, did not have I didn't it have that either. It. And I and I like to tell people yes. that because there are some you know there are a lot of addicts who try to get sober and it's it's not easy, it's painful. You're digging up a lot of stuff for the first time in your life without numbing yourself right. that we were always doing. I did not experience the pink cloud in my pin- first I think year. I'm on
1: a pink cloud now though.
0: Dude, now my <laughs> life is like a rainbow like, unicorn yes, pink I'm cloud. Like, I am out Proud. I want to share the,
1: the gospel of sobriety. But in the, at the
0: beginning, it wasn't no. like that.
1: No, and for me, it was extra hard because I had gone from being on Fox News channel like five or six times a day all different shows to right. then I just disappeared cuz they were like we're not going to tell anyone where you are. Well, guess what? When you drop off the face of the earth for 6 weeks, people are going to wonder. Producers get rearranged, they didn't want to stress me out like then ma- that that coincided with management shifts and everything. So I came back and like I could not get on the air. Maybe once or twice a week max. And so I felt like I had lost my my best friend of partying mm. and I had also lost my love my other love which was my job so for me it was extremely frustrating but I think that the good the blessing of it all is that oh, because I had had a Bill O'Reilly segment and they replaced me on that but who even cares I'm alive now and Bill O'Reilly is not even at Fox News (laughs) but the blessing was is that I I was able to just like okay well if you're not going to put me on and I don't have to do anything today like I'm going to go to a meeting or you know I'm going to go to I did three months of outpatient after rehab so that was like three hours a night for three nights a week for the first month then two then one I just I just I went to rehab and I was like "All right, I'm here I'm gonna sit in the front of the class I'm gonna take notes I'm gonna go to the extra meetings in town with the real people I'm gonna do this and I just did what they told me and then I knew it cost a lot of money to go to Silver Hill in Connecticut and then I was like, "All right, well, I'll do this. I got to do this for at least a year because mm. my employers know about this, and we spent all this money." And then I just started to feel really good about being sober. But it was like Groundhog's Day; like I didn't know what to do with myself. There was all this time in the day, and because we spent so much time like numbing out, right? And then I, not, I didn't really necessarily like myself that much, so I didn't. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, like being with myself all the those hours
0: what was it it was what was really difficult for me at the beginning and eventually I repaired through the step work but where does spirituality play you know with you and where you started I know for me at at the depths of my drug addiction I definitely did not believe in God I didn't believe in a higher power right it was all about me I thought I was the most important person I was the most powerful person in the world especially when you gave me drugs Um, and I was high on drugs I felt invincible it wasn't until I was working my fourth step and I realized how many close calls with death that I had, and it was that written work. And I looked back at what I had written down, and I was like, "Are you?" I was like, "Wow! I was kept alive for some greater purpose." So, where does spirituality play well, in your recovery?
1: God has mm-hmm. always been uh, my my person uh, because my parents took me to Presbyterian Church every single Sunday until I graduated from high school. I wasn't allowed to sleep out on a Saturday night, and if I did, they would like hunt me down wherever I was, pick me up, and take me to church. Well,
0: what was their reaction when they found out that you were addicted to drugs?
1: I think they... <sighs> Well, that was like a touchy thing because it was a mess with like my husband at the time because he wanted to blame my parents, but my parents like had, I hadn't lived with my parents since I was 18. It's like, I I knew I was responsible for Mm -hmm. my own actions. They didn't even know that I had done cocaine. They, my mom for years would not even talk about to anyone about how I was sober, how I was in rehab. And she would say things like, do you really think it was necessary that you went to rehab? And now it's like a whole 180. They couldn't be more proud of me, of the recovery work that I've done and that I've stayed sober and everything. So they they realized that that was just part of my story. Um I think they were sh- felt shameful of it. And I, I think they pro- my dad probably was like, "Oh my gosh, like I you know, drank every night in front of her." Like maybe he even took a look at his actions. Who knows. So it's But God, like for me I've always had a spiritual connection with God and I'm I'm so grateful to be sober and always like praying nonstop. I listen to Caleb love on the radio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Spreading
1: yeah. the, the hope of Jesus at, across <laughs> Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> Positive, encouraging. Hey, love.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> it just
1: reminds me to be like I, so great.
0: Well, and I tell people to, um, you know. A lot of my friends, like I went to Coachella for the first time last year, right? It's like a three-day concert in the desert. And I'm going again this year. And I've had a lot of people ask me, they're like, how the hell do you go to Coachella sober? And even when I'm at Coachella, my friends look at me and they're like, how are you doing this sober? And it's a real simple answer for me is that I always tell people I can do anything. Like I can go and do anything so as long, sober, so as long as I am spiritually fit. So as long as my spiritual connection to my higher power is very strong and I always have an exit strategy. So wherever I go, there's an exit strategy so I never feel trapped.
1: See, that's I think how we differ a little bit. Like I can dip into any place for one to two hours but Mm. I don't want to put myself in a situation where... I'm going on a girl's weekend to Miami because I did that at five months and it was like the worst weekend of my white knuckling. I'm sure I had five months sober and it was supposed to be like a spa weekend and it turned out mm. like all those girls were alcohol. Spa
0: weekend in Miami is never a spa weekend in Miami. And, right? in and Miami. they drank nonstop
1: yeah. for like hours and hours. And hours. Yeah. So I'm not going to go with a bunch of girls on a yacht for 10 hours. I'm not going to trap myself. Tr- right. I'll go on a yacht with sober people. Like, right. That's fine. But it, and it's not that I, I don't trust myself to stay sober. I don't want to I don't need to put myself in a situation where I'm even around drunk people like I don't judge I don't preach I don't care what anyone else does Does. I'm 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 trying to share my story with the hopes of helping other people but Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not saying like oh those people drink too much or she has a problem or whatever like I don't care it's just like this is what works for me Mm -hmm. and so I'll come, you know, I I just will turn down certain things, but I'm so busy. I'm on this freaking hamster wheel with my kids and work. Like I wouldn't even have time for a 10 hour yacht party anyways. (laughs) So,
0: So, you know, I, we both do the same career. We're both in front of the camera all the time and, and, You know, one of the things, and I don't know about you, but, you know, this perception from viewers at home and people who follow us and follow our careers. Oh, they never think
1: that we'd have a problem. No.
0: And that was the thing. Like, I'd get emails all the time and and they would be like, God, Brandon, your life is just so perfect. Like, I wish I had your life. And, you know, that was one of the hardest things for me to deal with because I'm like, God, you have no idea the struggles that I've been through. And what I wonder is that has that ever been a challenge for you? That, you know, people think that because you're an anchor and you're Mm -hmm. so put together and you do an incredible job behind the anchor desk, that they don't know the real you, that they don't know that you struggle
1: Yeah. And people will say, we want to know your story. And to that, I say, well, stand by. I'm writing a book Yes, (laughs) on that, even though in my book, because so many of the books out there that are recovery-based, I feel like it's all their antics. And the whole book is antics and what rehab was like. And then it's like, I got sober, the end. And you're like, is that person even still sober? I think they rushed to write that book. That's why I'm glad I'm having 10 years sober before even starting to write the book. So that- I'm going to focus more on like how to do this stuff sober, how to do dating sober, divorce sober, kids sober, career sober, meditation. <laughs> pain,
0: how to do friend, life everything. sober? Because as we say, yeah. life and life continues. The
1: last chapter is how to have fun sober.
0: Because I thought when I got sober that I would never have fun again. Oh, but Truly de- thought that I would never so laugh again. I.
1: So did I, and I. You realize that the definition of fun just changes. So for me, the perfect fun day would be I would say this being in a hammock on the beach, reading a book with like a warm breeze going through. <laughs> <laughs> my hair with the sunset and then couples massage, some good sex after. <laughs> Love it. That sounds like a great night to me. And
0: wait, can we just talk about, since you just brought that up, oh, sober, s- sex. sober sex. Can it's I? So okay, better so, than It is, can, but, I but, but can I say this, for the first year that I got sober. You were
1: not interested in hooking
0: Well, up. my sponsor told me, because so. I definitely had an issue with sex addiction, so my sponsor told me no dating and no sex for an entire year um which was a challenge but I did it really because you take the drugs away from me and it's yeah. like things wouldn't work see
1: I was married so but it was a diff- we it was different we all
0: have different stories different. and how I got, we do it I but got
1: pregnant I was 8 months over when I got
0: pregnant So let me ask you this so my sponsor and people in sobriety told me when I was young they're like trust me sober sex is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you and I was like that's impossible <laughs> um and then it did And sober sex. Like you're there. Like you're so in tune.
1: Every relationship is more meaningful. Events are more meaningful because you're like, oh, I'm going to remember this and I'm going to take in this moment. I travel the world. Like that's my definition of fun as well. And not one time have I ever wanted a drink mm. on any of my excursions around the world or thought I need one for this. I don't.
0: Okay, so I, I want to talk about your success now sober in, in you know, in, in the professional world and everything like that because there is a real fear that a, a lot of people in recovery there's a true stigma out there that if you were once an addict that you're just troubled. Like you're a troubled lot. You're never going to amount to anything good and you're never going to be successful and I think by you starting a podcast by writing a book and sharing your story that it'll give hope to other people that wow you can have this kind of success yeah and but it takes an important well, people, aspect and people you need do, support
1: people do always say like wow that's really bra-. everyone's like that's so brave of you that's so brave of you and my whole my last name's real, so. My whole thing is keep it real. I am yeah. va- I've always been extremely open, like, right. TMI, I don't care. And once you have kids and, like, there's 10 doctors watching <laughs> you push your child out of your hoo-ha, like, you're like, whatever, I really do not care anymore. Um, I just, like, I'm not, I don't
0: well, think. Well, what's it-, it, like, what's it been for you? Like, how was your boss's reaction, like, when, when they did find out that you were once an addict? Like, what was their reaction?
1: Well think like because i never had that fear that it would mm. be a concern like i just all of a sudden just started sharing about it so i waited till i had six years okay before i started sharing about it and i know you waited a i while did too, almost I almost a, eight years seven be, eight years yeah I think it can be a disservice to people that come out about it too, too early soon because we've I'm seen am right there with like you. relapse right after going on oprah talking about it yeah um so at that point i had enough credibility to in my time sober that to say like hey I have six years sober that's Mm -hmm. that's like a, a good amount of time and then I just started sharing like little tidbits from life doing things sober and the amount of reaction that i've had from people emailing me or you know dming me like how do you do it do you have any tips like what can i do in this situation or with my niece or nephew or son or daughter whatever and i mean i try to answer as many as i can but that's why i needed to write the book so i can be like just read (laughs) yeah read my book um I'm very blessed that, like I said, Fox was super supportive of me and KTLA has been as well. My news director, Jason Ball. First of all, we've talked about it on his podcast. so awesome. He rappelled down a 26-story building with me for... Uh, an, an, an addiction uh, charity that I then, through my own charity event, Sexy Sober Sunday, and KTLA gave me twenty five hundred dollars. Wow. To have to buy a table to my event, so uh, they are very supportive. And and I know I don't know if you've talked about it yet. I know that there was a discouraging situation for you recently, and I guess yeah. that's what the people saying, like, oh, you put it out there like that. Do you worry about like possible future, you know, career issues? Right. I don't because i'm just in that mentality but share what just happened to you
0: i know i was gonna come back here to los angeles you know i mean as an anchor right that's our dream is to come back to our hometown and be there it's it's tough because it's the number two market too so you gotta have some talent <laughs> Um And they told me that they didn't think I was focused on news um, because they found out that I was writing a book and that I wanted to go on the speaking tour because I wanted to go out there and share my story and inspire others to get sober and live a better life. And they felt that that was too big of a distraction.
1: And all of that, wasn't that because someone wrote an article on you?
0: There was an article written about me, and the article that was written about me said, what are you going to do now that you're leaving Arizona? And I said, well, you know, I'm going to focus on writing a book. I want to write a book about, you know, my experience, strength, and hope through addiction because I want to inspire others. And I, And this is the quote that they got hung up on. I said, my purpose in life is to not just read a teleprompter. My purpose in life is to share my story to help others live a better life. Now- I still don't see what the problem is with that, like shouldn't we all be better people shouldn't we shouldn't you be able to have a job here as a career and still be able to go on a motivational speaking circuit like don't you think that that would be a positive thing
1: <laughs> i i don't I don't really know how I'm <laughs> going to promote my book because I have zero free time, so that that could be a challenge but i i I, I don't know I think evolved people understand right. that there is more of a purpose than just being yourself in, in the daily grind. That's I, I certainly know when I was in active addiction I was not thinking about my purpose, that's for sure. So a lot of people are are stuck in a lower mm. level of consciousness, I guess you could say. I mean, meditating brought me like it I almost feel psychic sometimes and I and I can sense people's energy. Like it's it's crazy how I've like predicted weird things and just like connected with people because I've been bumped up to another level of of consciousness. And and I think when you get sober, you just are so much more present and in tune and aware of things that are happening, like that the normal person who's messed up is not re- even remembering.
0: But you know what I think is so beautiful about your story is that your kids, how many kids do you have? I have two. You have two kids. How old are they?
1: Uh, they are almost seven and eight. And yeah, I baked them completely healthy and they've never seen me
0: right there the influence and, and how beautiful is that
1: it's it's amazing
0: that they that your kids yeah. will only ever know a God mom knowing, yes. yeah that you're that they that their mom is present right that you're not in some blackout or yeah. you're not waking up drunk or you're not waking mm-hmm. up being like i don't have time for you today just to be able to be there present in your child's life i think is amazing
1: And for my job too, because I don't think I would have been able to do this specific job as hungover as I was when I was at Fox News in New York. I was covering entertainment; that was way easier. But when I come in at eight AM and have to be like in court somewhere catching up on something, or in City Council, and like there's like five weeks of history going on, and I have to learn it and turn it in a second, I don't know how you reported. See, I know. So I
0: was, you You know, (laughs)
1: like you just know how to, you know, BS and do it. I can already tell you're like that. But for me, it was like. Yeah. Really challenging. Maybe my comprehension level isn't as fast. Me, but I, there are so many days when I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not hungover doing this job.
0: I know. And I look back, you know, I'm back here on the, you know, the KTLA studio lot and. I was using have you, have I was. You
1: shared that story about you cracking your head open and no, trying to report I, in a fire.
0: I, I know. I this was away. very. This was towards the very end of my career here at KTLA before, because I got sober while I was at KTLA, and right. I never. My bosses never knew. No Nobody knew. Um, but when I was working here, it was the very height of my drug addiction to meth and GHB. Those were my drugs of choice while I was working at KTLA five, and you know, that last week was my rock bottom, you know, I was hospitalized, cracked my head open, blacked out from a drug overdose. And I told the doctor, they're like, we got to do brain surgery on you. And I'm like, I can't, like, I can't do brain surgery. This is, this is like a, a messed up addict. I'm like, I, you can't do brain surgery on me today. Cause I got to go to work. Cause there's a brush fire. And like, they already like paged me being like, Brandon, we got to send you to the, the brush fires. So I had a concussion. I get into my photographer's car here at KTLA five. And I told him I'm not going to even mention his name. Cause I don't want him in the middle of it. And i was like listen um i had a concussion just don't let me fall asleep and we were out covering the fires for like 48 hours straight what could
1: have gone into your cracked head <laughs>
0: isn't that insane but that just goes to show you the insanity of a drug addict like when we're in it and you have
1: since had an mri
0: <laughs> i have since had an mri and okay. and miraculous i went back to hollywood presbyterian they did an mri and, and my brain healed itself which is a wow. freaking miracle but here's the thing which i will share is um on my when i celebrated 9 years on 222 um i took my 9 year chip and i went back to hollywood presbyterian and i went to the emergency room and i brought my chip along with a rose a white rose and i went back to the er staff and they all gathered round and i just wanted to tell them you guys saved my life twice in 2 weeks you brought me back to life Aww. and I just want to let you know that I know what you deal with on a daily basis but you saved my life and I got sober and here I am 9 years sober. And so I gave them that chip. And like there were all the nurses and some Aww, of the doctors were so crying. Sweet. It was like but that's a gift that I can give back being sober, right? Being mindful, being present and being grateful. Right. And mm-hmm. like it's just some of the some of the great and blessings of being story, sober. I mean, you
1: kind of just did it. Cold turkey, or you didn't have to go.
0: To yeah, Korea. that. Yeah, I got out of the hospital at Hollywood Presbyterian, chased the wildfires for two days, and when we got back from the wildfires, I went to an AA meeting um on uh, Melrose and Mansfield, a little old church over there, um and I've been sober ever since that day. You know, I never went to treatment. I never went to any of those things.
1: Do you ever have urges, or-
0: um, you know, I think. Let me ask you that question too, and I'll share. Yeah. I, I do. I, I not urges, but I definitely th- romanticize about it once in a while, like those I'm able to fast forward the tape and like dismiss it real quick but I I I tell people I'm like there are moments sometimes in the day where I'm like oh you think about that like meth sex or you think about that stuff and you're like oh it was so good and I'm like remember what you felt like on Tuesday (laughs) (laughs) you
1: know (laughs) well I just am able to recognize the times where I'm like oh this would have been a time where I would have just gone home and like gotten shit-faced because I mean I I general assignment reporting you have some emotional stories like the Las Vegas shooting Mm. that was the worst story of my career so far I broke during my show I was like in Vegas I covered it for two weeks straight I cried on air like I was just it was like I couldn't escape it because we were having 12 hour days like chasing all the victims and just talking about it and I ended up like for three hours sobbing on my floor and I'm like I want to not feel this so you get those moments where like I hate being so present with myself like and like my divorce oh my god two years my first few years of my divorce were like I cried I would be anchoring this newscast on the desk behind us, right here, and I would have this lump that was literally like up to here. And I would get off the air, and I would just sob my way home Mm. for half hour, just cry nonstop. I did that for like two years. But
0: you never used.
1: I never used. So it is it is possible to deal with
0: life on life's terms.
1: I just like eat carbs. I jump in the shower and then I go to bed. I meditate and then, you know, work out like all those things. Whether it's like I'm going to go for a walk on the beach or there's so many other ways to cope with it. And I'm I'm proud of my and it was like and I,
0: I enjoyed it. Oh, it's always so real. Scared the real.
1: crap but then out of you me. You wake up and you're like, oh my gosh. Yes. So glad I didn't relapse. I'm sober. Mm-hmm. So. I love it and I hope to be sober for the rest of my life. I think that that is entirely possible to do, but every it's one day at a time mm-hmm. and like as long as I am constant in constant connection with God and doing the work on myself mm-hmm. with all of the different things I grasp from.
0: And what's I'm, oh, like I'm going to ask you one last thing. Okay. What's the one piece of advice that you give so much of the feedback that I get are families who are struggling with a loved one who's an addict. Mm-hmm. And those families feel so hopeless yes. and helpless. That's but tough. what they tell me is they're like, but your story gives me hope that right. my loved one who's an addict can get themselves out of rock bottom. What do you tell well, to the families of see, those who are suffering? It's funny
1: because I'm going, well, it's not funny, but like I'm going through that right now with um, someone who, well, a couple people who have asked me for advice and I'm kind of like hardcore. Mm. I'm like, you're enabling. You need to yeah. take that person out out of your house and give them ultimatums and if they're not, you know, you can't afford rehab then fine, you tell them go to 3 meetings a day and like have them bring their chips that their newcomer chips that they actually went or tell yep. you know have them recite what the re- repeat what was said at those things. Like mm-hmm. so many people like aren't willing to do the work or it's like okay, go to an Al-Anon meeting then. And People don't want to do the work. I think they just sometimes I think they just want to complain and be heard and then they'll stop. They'll stop communicating with me. Like when I suggest those things, they like ghost out.
0: It's the exact same thing. Really? I always suggest parents. The first thing I always do when they're struggling, I immediately just go online for them to take that step out of them. And I will, like, what city are you in? And I find out what city. And I find the Al-Anon meeting. I find them a time. And I give them two options. I said, those are your two options. The moment you go to those meetings, then you pick up the phone and you call me back and you tell me what was discussed at those meetings.
1: Wow.
0: And r- more often than not, I never hear back. Yeah. You know? But you got to do the work. Yeah. Like, it's as yeah, simple I mean, as if you're that. not
1: going to, if you're not going to, you know, stand firm, because that is the only way you're going to get through to someone. If you keep, like, funding them nonstop, it's enabling. Yep. It's the same thing. And, yes, of course, we don't want our child to die. But if if there's any, they're like, but no, I don't want them him to take his own life or I don't want him to overdose. It's like, well— oh.
0: I, don't I enable what, them. I don't
1: know what to tell, tell you. you. You're, that's called enabling. enabling. And so yeah. then, if they're not going to stop that, then they should go to Al-Anon.
0: That's uh, awesome. And do the
1: work themselves.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Um, thank you so much uh, for thank being you for, open. For this is awesome. It's it's just it's so cool to be back here at my old stomping grounds. Thank you for okay. sharing and your it's story.
1: Cool because my boss. Okay, this in here and to he's talk about recovery here right. in, the
0: in the studio. So, Jason, I know he's going to be watching this, I'm sure, just okay. out of pure curiosity. So, Jason Ball, news director, vice president of news here at KTLA, yes. thank you, my friend. Thank you for being a cool boss, even when I was here. And thank you for being cool enough to allow me to bring my podcast here to KTLA so that we can share our experience and strength and hope with all of you who are listening and who are watching. So, you can watch this at escapingrockbottom.com. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify. And uh, we'll see you back here next Wednesday. Thank you, my friend. I'm so glad we connected. You're amazing. Thanks
1: for listening to me.
0: All right. We'll see you guys back here the next episode.